0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Cree Annotators. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Jed McKay, writer of various Marvel comics, including the ongoing Black Cat, which was relaunched recently as part of the King in Black event, as well as a Taskmaster miniseries and some other cool Marvel works coming out right now. Jed, thanks so much for joining. I appreciate having you on. How are you doing today?
1: I'm very well. Thank you. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm always happy to talk about comic books.
0: Cool. You yeah, know, that's perfect. That's exactly what this is. We'll try to dig in to the work and just talk about uh, some of what you've been doing, because I definitely have been uh, very impressed by especially Black Cat of late. I, I feel like I almost owe you an apology rereading it simply by virtue of not giving this book early attention on like Marvel best of lists in 2019 and 2020. Um, I think I had it an, as an honorable mention in 2020 and it, it totally deserves a spot on, on the list. And when I make my updates uh, that will hundred percent be there because black cat is really, really excellent. Um, it's a great book. So I wanted to say that upfront because it's, it's so good. Oh, you. Uh, how did you, yeah. When you were, when you were looking at, okay, I'm going to be writing a black cat book. Um, when did it first sort of occur to you to, for this premise of, of a very heist focused book throughout like kind of the entirety of the Marvel universe?
1: Uh, I mean, that was just kind of it from the get go. Um, yeah. when, uh, when I got the call to say, Hey, do you want to write a black cat book? And Well, yeah, of course. Um, I hadn't really, I didn't really know where she was at at that point in time. I wasn't uh, really following her as a character, but, uh, so you know, have mm-hmm. dug in and sort of saw the kind of stuff she was up to. You know, she's been a thief, not a vigilante. She was a private detective for a little while, I think. But I think the, you know, the thief thing is what people keep coming back to. And I think that's the most interesting way to do it. Um, and I was like, well, okay, we'll do some, some thief stories, but generally if I'm trying to write a comic book story, I don't find doing the whole cap regular thing as interesting as, you know, doing like a big kind of, explosive, colorful, loud heist with a lot of moving parts and, you know, people working behind the scenes and, you know, some twists and reveals and, you know, getting right up in people's faces. So I think it's just because that's what I find the most kind of interesting and exciting and charismatic uh, take on, you know, the thief angle.
0: Yeah, no, and it totally works. I I think in in some, it's almost surprising in a way, I think, because as a longtime Spider-Man fan and certainly a fan of the character of the Black Cat, she's so tied to that character and to the cat burglar yeah. angle you know i think a lot of times uh reader perceptions can kind of just be like oh she's marvel's Catwoman, right and it's kind of this you know this direct analog in some ways um but then yeah what you've done is really really lean into the the crime and the heist aspect are there is that something that is a a form of media that you had like a ton of fandom for prior to this? Like, are there certain influences, whether they be comics, movies, books, that, that you really sort of have loved throughout, you know, your your own media consumption?
1: Oh, yeah, totally. Like, again, this sort of kind of uh, difference between the Capruglar angle and the heist angle is, you know, Flusha's always been a secondary character. She's always been in other people's books. She hasn't had a lot of time to uh, have a spotlight to herself. And so she's brought in when you need a cat burglar, right? You know, somebody's got to sneak right. in here. The main character isn't suited to do that. So you bring in her in to do that, which is, it was, it's just fine. It's, it's a perfectly normal thing to do with supporting cast. Uh, but when you're running your own book, I was, I was just kind of thinking like, there's only so many ways you can have, like, you know, sneak into a building or like, you know, navigate a laser maze. But uh, the, the sort of heist genre, the heist, kind of setup or the trope or whatever you want to call it is it lends itself to so many different ways of uh you know messing about um and so like some of the touchstones i i always go to are like you know the the lupin uh castle Cagliostro or um mm-hmm. the the original the italian job uh just when there's like a lot of stuff going on and it can be yeah. different every time um and that's what i think is most appealing about it and that's that's always where i go back to like i like a lot of crime stuff but The crime stuff i like tends to be pretty unrealistic uh it's people who you know dress great talk a lot of sass and get up to like exciting adventures as opposed to like uh you know here's the grim life of crime and uh the bitter rewards that you reap from it and that kind of thing
0: nice so in this in this series in the first run uh, without spoiling anything for people who haven't read it, there are various heists, including like Dr. Strange's Sanctum Samptorum. Um, You have like Stark Enterprises, Rand Enterprises, right? So sort of all these touchstones, the, the Baxter building, right? A lot of touchstones in the Marvel Universe. What what comes first for you? Is it figuring out sort of the the story need for the Black Cat or sort of the Marvel Universe location? Like which of those do you kind of decide you want to like wrap
1: your story around first? Oh, it's the location for sure. Um, Basically the things they steal uh, from these locations are just excuses to send them there. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like I, I, like there is a plan and these, all these things go to serve a purpose, but the purpose is secondary to the spectacle in this case. Um, Mm -hmm. We say, okay, we're going to rip off Dr. Strange. Okay. We're going to rip off uh, Reed Richards. Like, well, what are they going to get from Dr. Strange? What are they going to get from Reed Richards? Uh, That kind of thing. So yeah, like, the the plot device or the, you know, the MacGuffin or what have you is usually the last thing I figured out at that point in time. Cause once I, once I figured out where I want them to go I have to figure out why they're going there. And then I have to figure out how they get there and get out.
0: Right. Right. Okay. Awesome. No, it's, it's, it's super fun to watch sort of like, especially in the end of the, um, the 12 issues that came out uh, started in mm-hmm. 2019, just watching Felicia and her crew, which is such a, an excellent addition. I mean, I know it's not literally new, but just sort of Felicia having this crew of, of Bruno and Dr. Corpse, (laughs) I think it is um, like working together and just sort of talking. And then the black Fox comes into the picture, which is great, but having them talk through like, Oh, we got to try, you know, this job. And they got all the the lingo for, you know, different like things that thieves would know, right? These, these very fancy sounding names and all these things. It's, it's extremely fun. Um, you've injected a lot of character, I think into, felicia hardy in in the process of doing that uh how much what was kind of your your thought process in terms of what do i want felicia to be like what are my concentrations in terms of like Mm -hmm. how this character has been seen in the past versus what i want for her in this series what what was your general kind of game plan for felicia hardy because i think she comes off better in this book than i've read her really in a very long time
1: yeah i mean It's, it kind of goes back to what I was mentioning before in this idea of going from being a supporting character who's there for a specific purpose in the story in order to play off the main character to being the main character of their own book. Mm -hmm. Um, Felicia has always been defined, you know, by the other character she appears with, uh, you know, to the greatest extent, Spider-Man. Um, so I wanted to put her in her own book. Um, and I wanted to look at, you know, my, you know, our take on what it looks like when she's doing her own thing, what it looks like when she's not getting roped in to be the person who steals things for other people or uh, the person who's not being brought in to be a, a romantic foil for Spider-Man. You know, what sort of yeah. things does she do on her own? So it was just kind of a process of exploring how this character is a fully formed character on her own, um, which is you know one of the reasons why we didn't bring Spider-Man in for uh, quite some time, you know, not until that first annual came out. Because right. wanted to have a pretty draw, a pretty you know, firm, firm line in the sand there. But it's, I think it's been interesting to explore Felicia not just as the sort of you know, not just like the the bad girl love interest, but you know, someone who she has her own interests, she has her own foibles, uh, some of which she's aware of, some of which she's not. Um, she has her own compulsions and her own ideas of doing things, and we've been trying to basically look at that and how that works and. In the same respect, her crew are basically take the role that she would take in someone else's comic. They're the the uh, sounding boards that they, we reflect her ideas off of. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and just you know, the again try to channel that, you know, very sixties, seventies crime kind of movie thing of you know, career criminals who are, you know, breezy and exciting and uh, attractive and clever and you know, just smarter than everybody else but who still get themselves into trouble and still have to figure out their way out. I think that's, that's the take that I enjoy most with Felicia.
0: Nice. Yeah. You know, I think it's very effective. I, it, I, so I was in the room at a, uh, at C2E2 in 2019, I think when the first issue, when a black cat number no. one was announced, I remember this, I think it was CB Sabalski in one of the, one of the panels. And I definitely in my head wrote the series off as another excuse by Marvel to drop a bunch of like J. Scott Campbell covers in this in this instance, many of which are very good. I want to caveat. Um, but just kind of like Cheesecake book, right? Yeah. How do you and Travel Foreman, the, the interior artist on a lot of this, deal with the hypersexualization of the character over the years, especially as an all-male creative team on this book? Now I know you just mentioned all the the process yeah. and the thinking you do in terms of her characterization, which I know is a big part of it. Um, but kind of is that something that you wrestle with and kind of what is your thinking on that in in terms of producing the work?
1: Oh yeah, totally. Um, I mean, that's, that's a big part. You have, you know, an all male creative team in most cases working on a character who is largely, you know, in the past has been used or perhaps perceived by fans most frequently as a, uh, you know, a cheesecake character. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something to, to work with, but I think the sort of most important aspect of that is to treat the character like she has lot. She has agency. Uh, like no one's denying that Felicia is an attractive character and is a character, uh, you know, who, and, you know, on occasion will use her sexuality to get what she wants. But she's not a one note character. Uh, she has a lot of different tools in her toolbox. It doesn't always go back to that. And, uh, you know, we're very conscious with the art that we, we work with on the series to try and avoid, you know, the, you know perhaps like the 90s bad girl uh, pitfalls. Like you, you know, the kind of art I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, with yeah, it, with sure. superhero comics. So it's, it's something that, I mean, is definitely a struggle at times. Uh, it's, uh, a situation where when I'm writing the character, I'm putting myself in the shoes of someone who has wildly different experiences than I do outside of the fact that she's, uh, you know, a glamorous thief in a superhero world.
0: I assumed um, that did apply to you as well.
1: <laughs> I mean, Sure. But I, I don't look as good as in the cat suit, unfortunately. <laughs> right. But, um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's just trying to approach it from all angles in a way that is respectful to those identities in a way that is, um, acknowledging her agency and not being something that is just there to be, you know, be ogled or to be, um, to be looked at, uh, you know, basically trying to put her in control of her own series.
0: Awesome. Yeah. No. And I think like, you know, generally from what I've read, you, you've definitely pulled that off. I think travel foreman's art is a, is a huge part of that. You know, the art is not because that, that is where it could fall apart for all your, your, yeah. your desire and ability to to build her characterization. If the shots and the angles are, you know, like it's a panel just of whatever a body part, right. You know, that yeah. stuff can really stand out. And this art doesn't do that uh, in many ways. Um, but it tells the story visually compelling and it's kinetic and it's, and it's awesome. Um, and then you get like Chris Anka on for a, uh, uh, two part Wolverine story. And it's the same thing where it's a different style, certainly. And Felicia is fashionable and great looking. But again, it's that same thing of just like that, not being the focus that not being the crux of yeah, the story. And, uh, story. And I mean,
1: like basically from top to bottom, from editorial art, um, uh, writing, we're very, we want to, we're trying to be very conscious about not being exploitive. So mm-hmm. it's not just me. Like it's, this is a, it's a sort of mission statement that is, you know, all, at all levels of the book that we're all aware of. Um, you know when chris was on the book he was he, he was very exploited with wolverine but that's fine but uh mm-hmm. yeah. so we we're not worried about that
0: <laughs> right no there's there's more room for that um no very <laughs> cool it's awesome uh so with uh with black cat we had 12 issues in an annual came out um 2019 and, and 2020 and then there was uh the pandemic obviously which yep. you know is ongoing but you know at the at time in march kind of set the, the world of comics ablaze. And then there was this long hiatus. And now you're back officially yep. with a relaunch series, which is relaunching as part of a King in Black tie-in. Now I know a lot of like longtime comics readers, when they see tie-ins of works that they like, they get nervous, right? They get anxious because right. it's like, okay, is this going to fit? How's this going to play into the event? Um, I, I read the issue and it's very good. It feels very much like a continuation of the series and it ties into the event um, pretty seamlessly. I, I think in a very smart way, clever way without saying exactly the trick that you pull here. Yeah. Um, what was it like for you tying into the King in Black event? Uh, I I guess I'll just leave it there. Like what was that process and did it change anything or how did it change anything as far as you writing, you know, another first issue for Black Cat?
1: Well, basically in January, I think I wrote about four issues of Black Cat, um, which was like, which would have been issues 13, 14, 15, 16. Maybe even, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I had 17 too. So, I, so basically just before the pandemic, I had Black Hat planned out till to number 17. Uh, unfortunately, we had to hit the brakes of number 12. Uh, Diamond was shutting down Distro. So most books were on hiatus, and then Black Hat ended up being on hiatus longer than uh, we had anticipated. Uh, then later, we got the call, okay, we're going to be getting back into action. Uh, we're going to be kicking off in December, but we're going to insert a three-issue King of Black arc before we basically get back to what we're at. So like Black Cat number four, when that comes out, that was originally scheduled to be Black Cat number 13. Uh, So King of Black is basically slotting right in between there. Um, And you know, it's it's exciting. Uh, We've been uh, largely left to our own devices uh, over on Team Black Cat to uh, not have to worry about crossovers and events and stuff like that. Um, So being brought in for King of Black was a really different experience. Uh, the first issue was a struggle. Um, it's not something I had worked, like it's not kind of an area I'd worked in before. So having to balance, have, basically having to pay attention to three masters where, one, you have to do a number one issue that introduces character and what they're all about. Two, mm. you have to tell a story that gets this arc going. But three, you also have to tell the reader enough about what's going on in King of Black without it merely being a retread of King of Black number one, right? Yeah. So you got to put the reader who maybe isn't reading King and Black or hasn't read King and Black number one on the spot. Tell them everything they need to know and set up for the next two issues. But also don't make it just, "Hey, here's King and Black number one again." Uh, but it's just, you know, this is this is what Felicia was doing here. You make it has to be its own thing to justify someone wanting to buy it. So it was it was a struggle. Um, it's it's a, a challenge. That I think we pulled off uh, after uh, some rewrites back and forth. And once that was done, getting into writing two and three was a lot easier because two and three, now that all the, you know, the, the heavy lifting has been done with exposition, it's all been front loaded in the first issue. Number two and three, we get into the action and this is where it's, you know, very much a black cat book. So we got, you know, our, our madcap heist uh, in order to secure something of great worth. If you haven't read the uh, issue number one yet.
0: Yeah, no. And I would and I, and I don't want to spoil it either because it is. The heist that you come up with is so perfect. Um, I think to to make it a black cat book, right? To figure out, okay, what? How does this series actually tie in? Because that's so. I do a lot of like reading orders on comic book herald, so I'm right frequently looking at all the tie ins, where they fit in the continuity. And and one thing readers ask me a lot of times is like, okay, is this is this tie in worth it? Essentially, right? If I'm going to right. read the main event, do I need to read this one? And with black cat, that became a very easy yes, you should read this one oh, of um, because it very seamlessly. Yeah, no, and it's like it's. <laughs> It, it, it's it's more fun for me to be able to say that, right? I want them to be good, um, oh, of but it's definitely with Black Cat. I was like, oh, this tie-in, like it's it's still the Black Cat book that you want it to be. You know, it's still a heist, but also it's very central to the King and Black narrative, right? So if you've read the first issue, it builds off that um, in successful ways. So it's interesting to hear you talk about it as the struggle that I'm sure that it is, but I think the end result does does work quite successfully, and I would recommend people. I, I would recommend going back and reading the whole series. Like I think it's just oh, kind of like course. you said, like <laughs> it it feels like a number 13 if you've read it. It does it doesn't literally have to be. Um you don't have to have read everything, but just like there's a there's a backstory there, right? That's it's gonna mm-hmm. work better um if you read it that way. So yeah, no, it's interesting. I you have an knack for I think exploring the moral universe um in a really integrated way, which I like a lot, oh, you know, different you. aspects of character and continuity. Uh I really like I so the first issues I read. Of your work on, on I think maybe in general, but in Black Cat, was um, the Wolverine crossover, right? I'm a big X Men fan, so I, I read the Wolverine, and I was like, "Oh, this is fantastic!" You very cleanly tied into what was happening on Krakoa. I, I wondered, like, what was your history and connection to the Marvel Universe? Like, has it always kind of been your thing, or is that something where you've really gone back and kind of like studied up and brush up on for, you know, for the purposes of writing this?
1: Well, I um, I grew up reading comics, but uh, there was my dad's old comics from the sixties and seventies. So for mm-hmm. the longest time, my, my background with specifically the Marvel Universe um, was very much rooted in the 1970s. Uh, it wasn't until I got older and was you know, buying my own comics. So even like, through the 90s, I really wasn't buying new comics because I didn't have any money. Uh, so I was just reading and rereading old uh, you know, old Avengers, old Daredevil, old, old Conan, uh, and stuff like that. So I've got, um, I've got a real sort of affection for that time period. Uh, and when sure. I can reach back and draw something out from that, uh, it'll. I always like it. It's just something I find, you know, charming and nostalgic. Um, but also, I'm very big into like wiki diving. So like, yeah. I'm always on the, the Marvel fandom wiki, uh, just looking around, seeing, you know, what 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 I can find, um, like uh, in the Doctor Strange heist to Xander the Merciless. I was basically just scrolling through this list on the wiki of uh, magicians because I needed to find Mm. sort of a shitty down on his luck magician uh, who could be coerced into being their guide. Uh, Originally, it was going to be Moondark, the uh, the magician. But then Xander popped up. It's like, oh, wow, this guy's perfect. He's got like a direct Doctor Strange uh, tie. Uh, No one's used him for, what, 35 years. So I don't have to worry about continuity. But I, I think it's a lot of fun to kind of dig up old characters and dust them off and see where you can use them or what you can use them for. Excuse me. Um, oftentimes, you know, you get one-off characters that were used once in one series or even appeared in one arc, uh, so you don't have to worry about a whole lot of continuity bogging them down. But I think it's it's just something that helps to make it feel real, makes it makes the universe feel lived in. It's not. Mm-hmm. I try not to do it in a way that's like it's a continuity gotcha, where if you don't if you haven't read every issue of avengers then you're screwed but just right. as something that's kind of fun and interesting uh so like for instance the the wolverine issue they drop in the blood sport arena from uh those issues of frank Thierry was writing um mm-hmm. you know got the the brothers Grimm in there and just other sort of b-list guys that are trying to collect the bounty on wolverine and felicia right so yeah it's and like the that whole uh underground cellar from the princess bar thing was from that, uh, mystery of Madripoor art, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a nice, it it definitely all kind of ties together in these neat ways. And I I do appreciate that too, where you, you don't ever need to have heard of Xander the Merciless to understand that, you know, to understand the gag, right. And and to get, how this character would fit in, which I think is is wonderful. Um, and if you've read the issue, it's just, you know, it's it's icing on the cake, right? You're like, yeah, oh, exactly. hey, I never thought I'd see him again, uh, which is which is awesome. So uh, flipping flipping over a little bit to Taskmaster, which launched um, recently as well. This is a finally. scheduled to be a five issue mini. Yeah, <laughs> finally out. And uh, and it's it's off two issues right now. It's off to a very good start as well. I really like the hook for the series. Uh, what were your goals? And because Taskmaster, you know, it's a kind of a big one in the sense of this being the known villain for Black Widow in the MCU. Right. You know, whenever that movie does, when we are able to go, you know, have that released um, yeah. with just the craziness of the world. What uh, what kind of pressures did you feel? I guess writing this one, and why why did you want, or why were you tackling uh, Taskmaster next? Kind of following following Black Widow. Like, what was the appeal for you? Uh, I mean, follow, I excuse
1: was- me. Black yeah. I've, like I've always liked Taskmaster. Uh, I find him very charming. Uh, I love his costume, like his classic costume. It's just the right balance of ridiculous and uh, great looking.
0: And yeah. I, it's very I like extra, but very appealing.
1: <laughs> and, and like I, I like his blue collar attitude. Uh, you know, he's, he's there to work yeah. and get paid. Uh, he's also just kind of an asshole. Uh, but you know, he's not the guy who's looking to take over the world anytime soon. And it's just, I've, he reminds me a lot of, again, like going back to older crime fiction, like, you know, a guy gets see in the Rockford Files or something like that. Uh, always mm-hmm. go back mm-hmm. to Angel on the Rockford Files. He's always like, uh, you know, ratting people out or like uh, trying to avoid getting murdered by somebody. Yeah. Um, so when I got the email from uh, Chris Robinson, who's the editor on Taskmaster at the Times, like, hey, do you want to do this Taskmaster book? Uh, I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'd jump at that because it's one of those characters that I just have a really easy time writing. Uh, I put him in Daughters of the Dragon uh, the second double issue, and it just is a lot of fun to write uh, him and Nick Fury, which is again why I jammed Nick Fury into Taskmaster as well because I think they have a great relationship of uh, mm-hmm. mutual antagonism.
0: Yeah, yeah, awesome. No, and it's I I almost forget Taskmaster Shield connections because he's mm-hmm. been a, a villain for so long, but it is interesting because I we're actually rereading some of the Captain America, the Mark Ruml issues as part of the eighties oh, wow, and you okay. see Taskmaster, you know, training uh you know characters there and it's like, oh yeah, like this was, you know, he's got he's got feet in both worlds. Um so it is that relationship between him and Nick Fury is is kind of pitch perfect in this. Uh so I just read issue two, which not to spoil anything, is a knockdown drag out between Taskmaster <laughs> and Hyperion, which right. is which is amazing. Um how, what was it like writing a a Superman analog fight scene? <laughs> like uh, it what, was what was your kind of focus there?
1: Uh basically um, like the first issue is jokes, right? Like there's a lot of we're having a lot of fun, He's riding around in a golf cart, and you know his ringtone is Dolly Parton. Uh, the second issue yeah. is like kind of where it gets right down to it, where you see, okay, this is test Matches in a really bad spot here. Um, and also he very, also it's I think it's important to point out that he only got in this fight because he was being kind of a dick. Uh, you know, he very easily yeah. could have done the 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 tactical stealthy thing, but. Basically, I just want to show Taskmaster being completely outmatched, like physically, uh, you know, in every way. Uh, And also kind of showing that, he, you know, Taskmaster has a great superpower. He's got his photographic reflexes and he can fight like anybody. That doesn't really do you a whole lot of good against a guy you cannot punch to death or shoot or stab or hit. And I always like it in a superhero book when you can show someone succeeding by being more clever or by figuring out how to beat somebody not just because they're stronger not just because they have better superpowers. so I thought Hyperion was a really interesting uh, opportunity to do that and also, also it' was interesting that we uh, I wrote the script and then Alessandro drew it you we know, got the colors back from Guru, Guru FX, and it's like well I, I really want this fight to look a little little grimmer a little rougher you know I was like can you like maybe bloody him up a little bit because you know it was it was pretty uh, pristine and mm. I didn't I, and that was the last I thought of it because then it went back and then it went off to the presses. I didn't see it. And I was down signing some books in my local store and I opened it up. I was like, holy shit, everything is covered in blood. <laughs> so, yeah, and it, and it looked great. Like it was perfect. It was exactly what I wanted, but, and, and even more, but I hadn't seen that the blood added to it until I opened up the book myself in the store. I was like, whoa, I was like, oh, I guess, I guess that sells it.
0: Yeah. Yeah oh that's amazing yeah no because he's da- he's taking a brutal beat down uh, throughout yeah. that and, and yeah the art uh definitely definitely sells that nice all right so black widow or black widow i keep saying it uh black hat and taskmaster are are high high recommends for me i definitely recommend people check those out now you've got a couple kind of different um different approaches to to issues coming up uh let's start mm-hmm. with you got a king of black spider-man one shot now you've written the character certainly um, across mm-hmm. like spider verse stuff. You did spider punk and, and some yep. various spider Gadden work. And then you did a spider that annual, you mentioned that black Cat annual, which is very fun. Uh, it is a sort of wedding between Spider-Man and yep. black cat for what that's worth. Of, um, but you get to do a black, you get to do a Spider-Man solo one shot. What is that like for you getting, getting Spider-Man kind of on, on his own? Is that like a huge deal and kind of what are your plans for that, for that issue?
1: Yeah, that was, uh, that was an interesting opportunity for sure. Cause like, I've never, I've never written of like a full-on Spider-Man main character, Peter Parker, uh, issue before. Like I've had him on as supporting character. I've had alternate versions of Spider-Man, you know, the Hobie Brown Spider-Man that we had in the mm. Spider-Punk stuff. Um, yeah, it was, it was really interesting and also a little, like a little difficult to get my head into. Whereas someone like you know Taskmaster mm. or Black Cat, um, they're a little lower down the totem pole there's a little more room to kind of put your own spin on their personalities or their actions or, you know, their sure. just their internal life. Uh, whereas someone with Spider-Man who is very much a flagship character, you got to really get into I'm um, trying to so just like the, the paradigm that they want for that character. Uh, so it's less about finding my own spin on it and more about getting the, getting that voice right and getting those actions right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, Spider-Man's uh, a character, you know, he, he likes jokes. He makes mistakes. Uh, these are all things that I like in writing a character. Uh, so I think I think it came together pretty well. And I think there's some interesting work to be done here because I mean, Spider-Man, you're not going to find someone who's more connected to Venom and a Venom-centric event than Spider-Man.
0: Right, right. No, he fits in quite well. I think that was the thing in the the Absolute Carnage event that preceded this. Like Spider-Man has a pretty core supporting role uh, in some yeah, in some pretty fun ways. Was the, was the so, pressures you were talking about there regarding fitting voice, were those self-imposed um, or is that something that is communicated as well? Like, Hey, he's, you know, is that like, maybe there's just more editorial oversight and feedback in terms of what he's supposed to sound like.
1: I, I mean, that would be imposed if I strayed too far away what he, from what he should sound like. Uh, I, you know, yep. it was, I didn't get a lot of notes saying, Oh, Spider-Man wouldn't say this. Oh, Spider-Man wouldn't say that. Uh, just because I, you know, I think I, I got it right, you know, more or less. Um, that said, if I started, started veering off too much, then, you know, that's when they would, editorial would start to rein you know, me in at that point in time. Um, yeah. but no, like it's, it's, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a very Spider-Man story. You know, it's very New York. Uh, it's, you know, Spider-Man is dealing with the guilt over this whole, uh, symbiote thing because, you know, it, it came from somewhere and somebody brought it to earth in the first place. And now However many years later, this is all happening.
0: Yeah. If you can find a way to blame himself. <laughs> it's a good yeah, chance exactly. Will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. I'm excited to read it. I'm looking forward to it. How, how much of that, you know, when you get to write a character like that, do you view as like, hey, this is my shot or is it almost like, hey, this is kind of like a mini tryout? like like I, I nail this and then you know down the line we see where things go like how do you kind of view that or is it just like hey it's another another story I'm just gonna do my story and not worry about kind of the the future outcomes here
1: yeah i mean i, I look like something like spider-man i look at it as it's you know it never hurts to have a spider-man on your resume um yeah I'm, I'm well aware that uh when it comes time to figure out who's gonna be the next writer for amazing spider-man uh, I'm probably not going to be on the short list you know I don't have the I don't have the background or I don't have the, you know, the tenure yet. Um, and at this point in time, I'm, I'm very happy with the, the books I am on. Like, you know, I love writing Black Cat. Uh, I'm amazed that we've been able to go on for so long, and I'm really hoping to keep it going for as long as I can. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like it's 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 exciting to get the opportunity to work with the character to get the keys to the big truck, you know, or the big car, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and like I said, it's just, it's a good thing to have in your portfolio.
0: For sure. For sure. Speaking of large properties, you have Avengers Mech Strike five Mm -hmm. issue mini coming uh, this year. Um, What is what is is this something you pitched? Is this something that came to you? So the premise that I've seen so far is like kind of an Avengers Transformers combo where it's basically Avengers wearing these giant robot suits. It looks super fun. The art is by Carlos Magno, who I was really impressed by. Oh, in yeah. uh, some of the Empire work he did on Avengers. Uh, it's definitely a more out there series, though. Where did this one come from?
1: Yeah, uh, there's... there's uh, I, sorry, I've got kind of to stumble my words here. Um, X-Ray no numbers. was was a project that was offered to me, uh, I guess, would have been in the summer, early spring. Uh, Tom Brieford emailed me and said, hey, we're putting together this project. Uh, here's what it is. It's the Avengers, and they have these robot suits. What can you do with that? I was like, well, okay, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so basically started trying to figure out why the Avengers have these robot suits. Uh, you know, what are they going to do with them? What kind of threat is it going to be? And after a few tries to kind of figure out how this was going to work, we kind of zeroed in on what our threat was going to be, what our villain was going to be, how it's going to work. And we just kind of went to town. And it's it's been a really interesting project because it's a deeply silly premise. Uh like you know, you just have to look at the the Hulk robot's got purple pants painted on his Hulk robot suit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah which is awesome. Uh, so I wanted to take a like a like I said a deeply silly premise and play it like completely straight faced, but in the manner of basically doing an all ages book. Like I want this to be a book that <clears throat> once it's a trade paperback, you could basically just give to a kid and say you want to see the Avengers go wild on a, uh, some you know giant monster things going on and weird conspiracies. Then here you go. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's something that I think about a lot is how I grew up on comic books. And I don't know if when I was a kid, I would be that interested in a lot of the superhero stuff that's coming out now because it tends to be uh, aimed towards a, an older audience. Right. And so for something like Strike, I was like, well, this is a silly thing that we can play, play seriously, but still have it be something that I think would have the spectacle and the drama and the pizzazz that uh, you know a, a kid would enjoy.
0: Nice. Nice, that's awesome. Uh, Does it does it? Are you fitting it at all in like the Marvel timeline, or is it sort of just this standalone thing that is meant to be, you know, a good collection
1: to hand to you know all ages readers? Yeah, it's it's not in continuity, but we're treating it as if it were. So it's it's an it's an out of continuity series, but we are addressing it as if it were. Like I said again, treating it with that straight face, you know, Uh, treating it as if this was the main Avengers book and. With all the the gravitas and uh, not gravitas, excuse me, not a whole lot of gravitas in it, but with the gravity of the situations <laughs> that are uh, in in, uh, in place, you know.
0: Cool, cool. All right. Um. So, as as the the writer most well known for Spider Punk, what are mm-hmm. your favorite punk and hardcore albums? <laughs> what are, What are your top tier uh,
1: favorite punk and hardcore albums? You really kind of put me on the spot here.
0: Um, I know. I know. Um, Out of left field and on the spot. <laughs> Take your
1: time. <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, the, the Ramones have always been my favorite band since I was a kid. Uh, I really liked nice. that they were a bunch of guys who were not particularly good looking and not particularly good at what they did, but they did it very, very fast and very loud. And that was good enough. Yeah. And so that really, really appealed to me. You know, uh, you don't necessarily have to have any native talent to, to do something if you work hard at it enough. Yeah. And that's, that's always been so. Like my like my first Ramones album was the last show CD that came boxed with like a VHS tape. So I oh. only really got I really, only really got into the Ramones on their very last album. Yeah. Then in the the first Punk story we did the eight pager we did with Sheldon. There's a lot of uh, you know hardcore references to there the the, the stripes on Catherine Anarchy's tummy are uh, reminiscent of the Black Flag bars. Um, I think this. Is, we've got a TSOL reference in there somewhere um even going back to, I think they have like laSM on the wall like for uh, like a spider-man mm. so yeah we're, nice. we're we're doing some pretty deep dips in there
0: yeah no it's really fun I, I enjoyed that character a lot and it was definitely uh one of the the favorites in the PS4 spider-man uh, mm, to, yeah. uh, to costume so it like immediately made that kind of was that was that kind of mind-blowing to you to see it like pretty quickly? kind of blow up into a, a fad almost, you know, where it was like, you know, a lot of people's favorite from Spider-Verse and then into the video games and stuff like that, you know, within the span of three, four years like that.
1: Yeah, it was kind of funny because with the original design, because we didn't design the character, it, he, he popped up in um, the actual like Spider-Man series when that's coming. So that was the original, originally he was supposed to be the Captain Britain Spider-Man was supposed to be Spider-Punk, but then didn't go with that. They still kept it around. Uh, and then Nick said, okay, well, uh, we've got this character we want to, we don't know anything about him other than he wears a denim vest and has spikes on his head. So do a story that yeah. gives him a name and identity or whatever. So we we made him Hobie Brown. We put him on Earth 138, which is, of course, a, a Misfits reference. Um, and, uh, oh, <laughs> but, al- but also when he was first designed, his back patch was just like a hand giving the horns. It's like, oh, I don't really like that. So we, we gave him the Spider-Man, uh, spider on his back, Sheldon and I, and the like the hardcore X cross that said, you know, friendly neighborhood Spider Man on it. And it was fun yeah. to see that specific patch that we had designed uh show up in the video game. So that's something that we we had actually done, uh, Sheldon and I, and to see it in the game was pretty was, you know, it was fun.
0: Awesome. Awesome. All right, cool. So we mentioned some stuff. Uh what is what is next from you? Anything else that you want to plug that you got coming up?
1: Uh, nothing that is announced. I've got a few different irons in the fire. Um, i got an ongoing that should be announced soon. Uh, another one that probably won't be announced for a little bit. Uh, Maybe series I'm working on. Uh, so yeah, I've got I've got a lot I'm working on, but unfortunately not a whole lot I can talk about until uh, the powers that be release the information themselves.
0: Sure, sure. No worries. No worries. All right, cool. Well, in the meantime, I highly recommend people check out Black Cat. Again, you can read uh the entire full run of the entire first series on Marvel Unlimited right now, or of course over on Comicsology or Amazon, wherever you or your local LCS always support. And uh in Taskmaster is coming out now as well. I recommend checking that out and it's your poll. Uh Jed, thanks so much for joining. This was a pleasure. And uh hopefully we can talk again uh when some of those new books come out because I have been enjoying the work immensely.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh thank you for having me on. I always love to always love to talk about myself <laughs> uh, <but> yeah <laughs> yeah when uh, the other stuff gets announced let me know we'll uh, come back and have another talk